Well, today we're going to uh, finish what we started last week, and that is, uh, this is just part B in a um, sermon that's been split not quite in half. We covered about 60% of the material last Sunday, and uh, today we'll wrap that up. If you weren't here last Sunday, you're going to get the five-minute abridged version. Uh, there is actually not only the audio, but now uh, Philip and our tech team have got it so that you can see the video of the message online. So that's a big step forward for us. So if you need to go back and, and catch that, that is available to you online. We uh, are looking right now at the matter of healing, God's plan for healing in our lives. And uh, we started last week, and, and if you were here last week, just bear with me because we're going to take five minutes to, to rewind through that to set the stage for where we are today. We, we began by looking at Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 and 2, which is one of just many passages that summarizes what Jesus' ministry looked like and what the ministry of his followers is supposed to look like. And it says there uh, in uh, Luke 9, 1 and 2, that when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The three things that you hear clearly in that is what Jesus did wherever he went. He healed sick people, he drove demons out of those who were demonized, and he proclaimed the message of the kingdom of God, what it meant to, to live under God's rule and reign and to become a part of the family of God. And this is the ministry that he's given to the church today. And we talked last week about how you know, most churches are quick to embrace uh, the ministry of pro proclamation, of declaring who Christ is and what he's done and what it means to be in the kingdom of God, but that we've struggled a great deal particularly in evangelical circles in America, we've struggled with the matter of deliverance and of healing. And these three go together, and God is still just as much in all three of those today as he was 2,000 years ago, and that the church has to reclaim these things. And so we spent several weeks in just the previous month or two talking about the matter of, of casting out demons and, and just the whole issue of deliverance, how we can be free and now we're talking about the matter of healing. And he speaks of that twice in these verses. One time in connection with driving out demons, because many times when demons are driven out, a person is then enabled to be healed. A third of the healings that Jesus did in the Gospels involved the driving out of a demon so that a person could be healed. A spirit of infirmity had to be removed. But then he just mentions the, the healing from diseases in general. There are a lot of diseases that don't have, you know, there's no relation to a demon. Somebody's just sick or they're just in pain because they've been injured. And he said, you have a power and authority to go and deal with that as well. And so we said last week, in order to understand healing and how we step into God's plan for healing, you first got to understand something about the nature of sickness and really our nature, how we're made. And so we looked at, at uh, 1 Corinthians 5.23. It's a great passage. Uh, the message translation is, is so clear where it says, May God himself, the God who makes... Everything holy and whole make you holy and whole and put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master, Jesus Christ. You get that, that picture there, not only that God wants you to be whole, but that you are one person made up of several different parts, that you are a, a living soul, that is sort of the identity of who you are. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. That is your core identity, but that you also possess a body and a spirit. And we said the body is kind of the window through which we experience the physical, the natural world through our five senses, but that we also, our soul is able to take in more than the physical world, that we've been given a spirit, 
that is the, the sort of like the, the port in us that connects with everything beyond the physical world, that allows us to connect personally with the Spirit of God. God is Spirit, and this enables us to know Him, to hear His voice, and to actually have His thoughts communicated to our minds. And, and it enables us to, to take in things that are taking place in the spiritual realm that our body cannot comprehend. That our, you know, our body, we can't see with our eyes or hear with our ears what's happening around us in the spirit realm, but you've been given a spirit. So... In this, we, we get this picture that here I am, a body that possesses a mind, will, emotions, but also a spirit. And so when we see all of those things, and, and Paul is saying, God wants you to be whole, complete in, in all of these areas. Well, when you understand how you're made up, you begin to understand how you can be sick. We said there's six ways that you can be sick. You can be obviously sick in your body with you know, an illness or an injury that causes you pain or suffering. That's what we normally think of when we talk about being sick. And the second way we said you can be sick is, is to be mentally sick, to be mentally ill. Your mind isn't functioning right. You, you've, you've lost a sense of the boundaries between what's real and what's unreal, what's, what's imagined. You can be emotionally sick where you're just overwhelmed uh, constantly or almost constantly with some, some negative emotional uh, problem, some emotional distress, overwhelming sense of depression or anger. Fear, anxiety, loneliness, when there's really not a reason for those things to be there all the time. We said you can have a sickness of the will. This is a very common thing. that The will being a key part of who you are. This is more than your mind. This is more than your emotions. It is your ability to make decisions and set boundaries. And a person who has a sickness of the will, they don't have the ability to set proper boundaries. And so they wind up with all kinds of problems. They, they can't seem to... Uh, set boundaries so that they, they live a normal life and have healthy relationships. And so they often get taken advantage of, or they, they can't seem to stick with anything, or they, they seem to, to live in bondage to certain you know, behaviors. I just can't break this because I have a sickness of the will. And, and then there is uh, a fifth way that we can be sick, and that's to be spiritually sick. Of course, the worst version of this is to be spiritually dead, to be completely disconnected from God. But we certainly can be spiritually sick because of the abiding presence of unconfessed sin, repeated sin that we just don't ever deal with. It can make us spiritually sick. Demonic presence can make us spiritually sick. And that leads us to the sixth form of, of sickness, and that is through the presence of a demon. And this is just as common for believers as it is for unbelievers that we can, can be oppressed or, or demonized. And demonic spirits can cause any of the first five sicknesses that we mentioned. And quite often they have very specific jobs. They have very specific assignments. That There are spirits that it is their thing to make you physically sick or to, to keep you sick once you just in the natural get physically sick or have an injury. Uh, there are spirits that are assigned to, to trouble you in your mind and, you know, to, to be the voices in your head where you just can't figure out what's me, what's the outside world, what's, what's you know, who, whose voices are these, what's real, what's imagined. There are spirits that attack your mind, spirits that attack you emotionally. A lot of spirits that will do that. Depression, man, that's a real common one. Guilt, shame, these things that just weigh on your emotions all the time. Uh, spirits that, that constantly attack you in terms of your will. So you get a, a sense of that. Six different ways that you can be sick. So uh, then we get to really the key stuff. We understand something of how we're made, which tells us something about how we can be sick. Jesus wants us to be healed, and he doesn't just want you healed in your physical body. He certainly is concerned about that, and, and he healed people right and left who were physically sick, but he did more than just heal physical sickness. 
Jesus consistently addressed inner healing as well as physical healing. And, and we talked about last week how so many times, because of our past experience, we sort of get turned off to this whole thing of healing, and it's like, I guess we're going to have to leave that to Benny Hinn and those guys over there, you know, in that camp, because we're, we're not much good at that, and we're not sure if we believe what they're doing. We're just not sure what to do with any of this, because we've prayed for a lot of sick people, and most of them didn't get well, right? I mean, isn't that the truth? Isn't that why we struggle? Is because we prayed for so many people who got cancer or emphysema or you know, some terrible disease, and they just got sicker, and then they finally died. And so we finally just decide, well, whatever the deal is, something's broke with me or with this plan. It, it just doesn't work. But I'll tell you, God's plan isn't broke, and God hasn't slowed down or quit this thing of healing. He has a plan for healing. We just need to be in step with what his plan looks like. And when we look at Jesus and his ministry, we, we see in Luke 9 and Luke 10 these great sendings out of, of the pairs, first of the apostles, but then of a larger crowd of 72 with instructions about healing and, and deliverance and, and proclaiming the kingdom. And uh, in doing that, they would come back and masses of people would they just come flocking into Jesus. And, of course, they're all looking for healing. Or from you know for deliverance, they're not really there for the preaching so much as I want you to fix what's broken in me. And it says in verse eleven, when these multiple crowds descended on Jesus kind of simultaneously, uh, it says there how Jesus responded. It says he welcomed them and he taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. We said in that you sort of get three key parts in God's plan for healing that are just so very basic. The key words there being welcomed, taught, and healed. And all three are vital. To begin with, Jesus didn't just heal in mass. He could have just, with a word, have healed every crowd of people who came. And he never did that way. It was always, there was always a personal connection, a personal interaction. And this is how God works. It's always through a personal interaction. But there's this interesting piece in this that God not only wants to deal with you individually, but there is going to almost certainly be some type of personal interaction with another human being that God uses as an instrument of his healing. We're going to talk about this a little more in a few minutes, but there's always a partnership between us and God in the doing of God's will, or virtually always. And, and that's sort of weird for us because we understand God doesn't need us to accomplish his will. I mean, we all get that, don't we? It's not like God's going, you know, how in the world can, can we get Barry to do more so that we can accomplish his will? I mean, how, how can we get Terry over here or Beth, you know, to do more? Because I just don't think I can get my will done without her. Are you kidding? I mean, the God who speaks everything into existence, he doesn't need our help. He just honors us by inviting us to be a part of the accomplishing of his will. Well, when it comes to healing, God uses people. To, to usher in his will. And so there's going to be, uh, there needs to be an openness to uh, us personally connecting with God, but personally connecting with someone that God's going to use in our lives because that is very frequently going to be the case. For some people, that's going to be the case today. As you are willing to reach out and welcome someone else into your life, that blessing is going to flow through that. So there, there was a welcome, but there was instruction. Just as Jesus didn't run around casting out demons without giving some very clear instruction, because he, he knew if I just go cast out demons, these folks are going to be worse off in a few days than what they are right now. They have to understand and embrace what it means to belong to God, to be a part of the kingdom of God. So there would be instruction about the kingdom. Well, the same was true of healing. Physical suffering many times is, though certainly it's a part of the fall, uh, 
it's something that God can use in our lives so that we get in tune with the fact that there's something that's broken. There's something that's wrong beyond just my body. And so God actually wired you. You may have never really thought about this before, but God wired you. It, we, we talk about these three key parts to who you are, body, soul, and spirit. God has wired these things together in such a way that when your soul or your spirit are sick, it affects your body. Do you get that? That is by divine design. That's not by fault. God has made you in such a way that, I, I mean, think about it, how this works in, in a physical way. God could have made you where nothing hurt. And in fact, one out of every many, many millions of people are born where they never experience pain. Their, their bodies are just wired improperly. It's like a, a birth defect, so they never hurt. And these people always die young. And, and you understand why, don't you? Because they never know when something's wrong. They get an appendicitis, they never know it. It just blows up. They go septic and they, they die, you know, like within a few hours of finding out they were ever sick or whatever else. It's just something goes wrong and they don't feel pain, so they die young because they never know when anything's wrong. Well, we are the same way. God could have made us where this wasn't all wired together, but God has made us where it's wired together. So when there's something wrong inside your heart... It's going to affect your body. You're going to feel something that's not right because these things are all wired together. And so God's wanting to heal our bodies, but he's wanting to heal us from within, and we have to cooperate with that. We have to be willing to let, many times, to let the physical suffering in life wake us up to the fact, okay, wait a minute, have I thought through, have I cooperated with all that God is expecting me to do so that I can be whole. Remember, that's the, the word that Paul used in 1 Thessalonians 5. He wants you to be holy and whole, right? It's a great combination. He wants you to be completely set apart for God, but he wants you to be a whole through and through. And so we said we started into a list of seven things. Se- seven. I'm, I'm flashing nine here. Let's, let's try that again. Seven. Seven different things that we need to to think through and make sure that we've addressed to cooperate with God's plan for healing. We touched on the first three last week. The beginning point's the obvious one. That, that first of all, you've got to be made spiritually alive through faith in Jesus. Simple principle here. Don't expect to access the power of God for healing in your life if you're not willing to embrace God and welcome Him into your life. You can't be guilty of saying, well, you know, until God does something for me to make my situation better, I'm not sure I can trust Him. Well... I'm sorry that you feel that way, but the bottom line is this. God is good. He's always been good to you, even if life has been bad to you. And you can't expect to receive you know, healing and the things that you need from God if you're not willing to receive God into your life. And then the second principle that we talked about to cooperate with God's plan for healing, dealing with these root causes, is that now, once you've become a believer which provides forgiveness for all of our sin in an overall sense, but we also have to experience forgiveness through confession. Now, as a believer, I'm still going to get tangled up. I'm still going to get into things that I don't need to, go places that I don't need to go, and and that gets me fouled up spiritually and in lots of other ways, and I need to experience forgiveness through personal confession. That's not just admitting that I did it. That is agreeing with God and turning from it. And we said confession... Is a big deal, not only because we need to get right with God in this, but when something has become a major issue in my life, confession to another believer. Some 
single individual that I know I can really trust and who can handle this, that I can confess to them, and there's healing that takes place in that. And then the third piece that we mentioned last week is we've got to be willing to forgive others who've hurt us because unforgiveness, just as in the spiritual realm, unforgiveness becomes an open doorway for the enemy, unforgiveness does the same kind of thing in terms of sickness in our, in our bodies and our souls and our spirits. When we hold on to unforgiveness, we just open ourselves up to all kinds of, of inner sickness. And so we've got to be willing to forgive if we're going to be in a position to receive and experience healing. So now, to the fresh material, the final four pieces in cooperating with God's plan for healing. The, the first new one that we'll mention, number four, is this. You've got to be willing to work aggressively to break free from your guilt and shame. Now, this isn't necessarily true for everyone in the room at this moment, but the seven things that I'm giving you become a very practical checklist to just say, you know, as I'm looking at my life, this isn't complex. I need to just go down the list and say, have I done this? You know, have I been saved? Have I, is there anything that's, that's unconfessed? Is there anybody I need to forgive? Am I carrying around major guilt and shame? The truth of the matter is most believers are carrying around some major shame story. You realize that, don't you? Some of us are sitting here going, no, I thought I was the only one. I just felt like I'm the biggest sinner in the room. I'm, I'm the one with the really dirty shame story. No, most of us are carrying some kind of shame story. Some have had that addressed and some have not. Most Christians feel, in, in some major respect, cut off from the life and power of God, the presence of God, because of their shame story. And by shame story, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's that thing that you've done that makes you worse than most everybody else. What is it for you? And, and it's different for different ones of us as to what we think the biggies are. But it's interesting how what we think the biggies are are tied so much more to how we were raised and who we were around and what we were told than it has to do with God. You know what I'm talking about? It's not that God said, well, there are five really big sins, and if you're guilty of one of those, you're a dirty dog. The rest are pretty minor. I mean, where in the Bible did you run across anything that looked like that? And yet, if you grew up in the Bible Belt, somehow we inherited that, didn't we? This thinking that says, okay, I mean, there are sins, and we're all guilty of sins, but then there are nasty sins. There are low-down, dirty dog sins. And, you know, if, if you grew up in, in church in the Bible Belt, can I just throw out some that were, some that were common ones? I mean, I, I don't think they were just true in my church because people that I've grown up with seem to have heard the same stuff. It's like, okay, here are the ones that will leave you with a shame story worse than most other things. If you are guilty of divorce, you're automatically going to hell. Uh, uh, that's, that's definitely, you know, one of those things that has been communicated at some level. You know, you're, that's a special level of sin if you're divorced. I'm saying this as a divorced person, by the way. If you're guilty of any kind of sexual sin, oh, shame story, big-time shame story. Premarital sex, if you ever were guilty of an affair, if you've ever engaged in any kind of uh, homosexual relationship, oh, dirt, dirty, dirty dog. Um, if, if you have any kind of besetting sin, that, uh, like an addiction, an addiction to drugs or alcohol, an addiction to pornography, oh, you know, man, the shame stories that just surround that. We, we could continue the list, but, I mean, you, you get the idea. It's like there, there are just special categories of, of sins. And if, if you've ever done these things, then, mm, man, God's, 
God may let you in the kingdom, but he's got a special outer court for you, you know, people like you. He's not going to hang out with people. And we, we sort of laugh about that, but isn't it terrible to carry that stuff around? Because even if you haven't done anything that was on the list that I just named, and we certainly could lengthen that list, you're probably guilty of something that's on your really bad list. And you're like, oh, I just can't, can't believe that I did this. And there's an enemy that's been whispering in your ear that God doesn't love people like you. And that God may, if he lets you in his family, that you're the child he's really ashamed of. That you couldn't possibly be really close to God because God is good and God is holy. And you certainly are not. We get sick when we live in a place where we we have that kind of guilt and shame in our lives. And you have to work at dealing with that. David addressed just what that kind of guilt and shame will do to you in Psalm 38 when he said this, Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. Have you ever just felt that way before? That just the guilt and shame and just the inner sickness that it causes just too much for you. Just overwhelming. That's why Paul said in Acts 24, 16, I do my best to have a clear conscience before God and people. Boy, that takes effort, doesn't it? To keep yourself at a place that you have a clear conscience. You don't keep a clear conscience through perfect living because none of us get there this side of heaven. So you're going to foul up. You're going to foul up in your relationship with God. You're going to foul up in your relationship with people. So how do you keep a clear conscience when you're still a sinful person? Well... You have to address the sin, and you have to address the source of the guilt and shame. And, and we do that a couple of different ways. One thing that you do to address this is where you're carrying around guilt and shame because of how you've hurt, damaged, or disappointed someone else. If it's appropriate to do so, make amends. It, it doesn't mean that you can undo the sin, but sometimes a part of what we need to do is own what we've done, not only just to say, yeah, I did it, but to seek to make it right when that's appropriate. Now, only in certain situations is that appropriate, and you have to be thoughtful about this. Those of you who have worked the 12 steps, you're really familiar with the make amends part, and you know there's a big caveat in this. You do this except when to do so would harm that person or someone else. So, like, you know, if you were involved... In, in an inappropriate relationship years ago that's long since been broken off, you cheated on your spouse, and you're thinking, oh, well, to make amends, I need to go find that person, and I need to have a conversation with him. No, you don't. That is not how you make amends. That's how you restart something. No, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where it's appropriate, where it would be constructive to go back and to own what you did or to ask for forgiveness or to try and set things on. It may sometimes involve repaying something or, you know, fixing something that we've damaged, that can be a part of of addressing this. But more frequently, the biggest thing that we need to do in addressing guilt and shame and making sure that we keep a clear conscience is about what we do in relation to God. And here, the key piece is simply this. When, When we're carrying around all this guilt and shame as believers, it is because we see our sin... And we believe that our sin is bigger than the cross and the shed blood of Jesus. And that's the bottom line. And the only way you correct that is to focus back in on Christ and on what he's done to pay the price for your sins. Because when you see that clearly, the weight of your sin is lifted. 
the guilt and shame of your sin is removed. Revelation 12, 10 and 11 reminds us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren and the sistren. He accuses all of us before God and before ourselves, telling us how low down and dirty we are. And it says there that he's overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. We need to just constantly go back to Jesus and rehearse what he's done. Isaiah 53 is such a wonderful chapter, and it says there in verse 5, speaking of Jesus, but he was wounded for the wrong that we did. He was crushed for the evil we did. The punishment which made us well was given to him, and we are healed because of his wounds. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's not making light of our sin. You know, so many times, the way that we try and deal with our own guilt and shame is we like to compare, don't we? I, I, I like to, to look around, and, and when I think about my own shame story, I go, well, you know, I mean, Harold's probably done stuff as bad as me. I, I bet he has. I, I, Nails, maybe Nails has done stuff worse than I have, so I can feel better about myself. There's no hope in that. There's no relief in that. Absolutely not. That is a fleshly cure to a problem that, that needs a, a divine solution. God never grades on the curve. God looks at all sin, and and he sees it the same. He hates it. He punishes it through death and destruction. And Isaiah 53 is a reminder of that. That God unleashed all of the appropriate wrath on my sin and on yours. But he placed that sin on Jesus first so that all of the, the really harsh judgment and treatment that it deserves... Christ received. That's why he was wounded and crushed so that we could be healed. Do you get what I'm talking about? If you can just see that Jesus paid the full price so that we don't carry the weight of our sin anymore. Hebrews 9.14 is such a great passage. It says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences underline those last three words when you think about the blood of jesus what do you think primarily was the purpose of the blood a lot of us would say at a most basic level to keep me out of hell right i mean it's it was paying for my sins so i wouldn't go to hell and i would go to heaven well that is a wonderful benefit of the shed blood of jesus amen, amen. some of you are scared to answer on that it's okay to say uh-huh amen I am so glad that the blood of Jesus paid for my sin in that regard. But the writer of Hebrews says it goes beyond that. It not only satisfies holy God, it has the power to cleanse a guilty conscience. How does it do that? When it begins to sink in on us, what the blood of Jesus accomplished. Jesus with his sacrifice, he didn't just like set some example and prove some point. He literally took your sin. Your shame and guilt story. He took it. He took it to the cross when God was was appropriately wanting to unleash His anger against what you and I have done. Even though we did it 2,000 years after the cross, God seeing all of time at once, when He laid out the punishment that that deserved, He poured it on Jesus. So that when He looks at you, there's no need for punishment There's no need for guilt and shame. There's no need for separation. Because now, when he looks at you, he's able to look at you and go, I I don't see see sin anymore. Because all the sin that was on Bob and Allie over here, it was completely taken off of you and placed on Jesus. And all of the perfection of Jesus 
was placed like a garment on Bob and Allie so that now when I look at the two of you, I just see a son and a daughter of God that have the righteousness of Jesus. You don't need to carry any guilt and shame. All that stuff that you were so worried about, what's God going to think? God's going to think that's terrible stuff, but it's all credited to Jesus. It has no connection to you anymore. That's what it means when it says your sin has been as far removed from you as the east is from the west. Your sin has been cast into the depths of the sea, never to be dredged up again. And the reason this matters so much in terms of your healing is when you carry around guilt and shame, it not only makes you sick, But it puts you in a place that you can't access the power of God because you can't draw near to God when you're carrying around guilt and shame. But when this is taken away, 1 John 3 is true where it says, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with confidence and we will receive from Him whatever we ask. You know how that works. We're eating up with guilt and shame. We don't believe for a minute we draw near to God. We don't believe that there's power in our prayers. Do we? I mean, seriously, how many Sundays have you come to church because you were supposed to go to church and somebody might think something was wrong, they might catch on that something's wrong if you didn't show, but inside you're like, I'm just going through the motions because I know God's not going to do anything in my life because I know what I've done. I know how bad I've messed up this week. And I know this isn't going to be a close connection between me and God. I'm going to sing some songs. I'm going to listen to Mark preach. And I'm going to go home. But God's not going to draw near me because I am so eaten up with my junk. And that guilt kept you from drawing near to God. But when the guilt is taken away, John says, Oh, you you can draw near with confidence. And as you personally connect with God, you can fully expect to receive what you ask for. Now do you see why this is a key piece to experience in healing? The guilt and shame have to be removed. Number five, we've got to take responsibility in our situation with our sickness to utilize the people and resources that God has put around us. This goes back to the principle I was talking about earlier. There's a partnership in the accomplishing of God's will, and that means that while God could just speak a word and completely heal you through and through, it doesn't usually happen just that simply because God wants you to take responsibility for your part in your healing. And he'll take responsibility for his part in your healing. I mean, think about that. There are any number of scriptures we could point to, but one good example is 1 Timothy 5, 23. It's a verse that Baptists, when I was growing up, we ran away from, where Paul said to his protege, Timothy, stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. And all the former Catholics said, Amen. <laughs> Along with several other closet Baptists. No. You know what he's saying here. He, he's talking about, you know, in a day when there weren't pharmacies on every corner, looking at wine as, as having medicinal properties. He's saying, Timothy, you stay sick so much of the time, son. Stop just drinking water. Take your medicine. Drink a little wine. Do, do what you can do to address your illness. The principle is a simple one. If you're sick and medicine would help, take your medicine. If you're sick and there is a doctor who likely can help with that, go to the doctor. If surgery could fix what's broken, go have the operation. If counseling could help you with what you're wrestling with, go see a Christian counselor. We we look at this and think, oh, wait a minute. If I'm a faithful Christian, I should just trust God for this. I shouldn't need antidepressants. I should just believe God and it should fix that. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. 
Every good gift. Is medicine ever a good gift? You better know it is. Are doctors who practice medicine well a good gift? Absolutely. Christian counselors who practice well, those are gifts from God. Use them. Don't feel like that is somehow contrary to your faith. Do your part in the deal. I'll go a step beyond that. There is a lot of physical sickness that's tied to us not taking care of our bodies. I mean, how many of us are dealing with some form of sickness that ultimately when you get back to it, it's because we're out of shape, we're overweight, we drink too much or smoke too much or what, you know, whatever our, our junk is and we're killing our bodies but we're begging Jesus to heal us over here. And can't you just imagine that sometimes God is going, you know, I'd love to take care of you through and through but it wouldn't hurt to get your rear end in the gym. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't hurt you at all to cut some, some calories out of your diet. Listen, do your part in the deal. If you're going to ask God to do his part, you do your part. Sometimes, and this, we don't want to think of this as spiritual stuff, sometimes one of the most spiritual things that you could do is to change your lifestyle, change how you eat, hook up with a dietitian, hook up with a trainer, join a gym and actually show up and sweat. Do the things that are your part in this partnership to get to a healthier place instead of just asking God to miraculously intervene and take care of all of the deal. And beyond that, in terms of cooperating with and embracing the help that, that's out there, I'll give you another example from the life of Jesus himself. On the night that he was betrayed, we cannot easily comprehend the level of stress and the weight that was on his shoulders prior to the cross. And on that night, he took the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he took his three closest friends and pressed further in. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Listen to his words. My soul, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You think he was just being dramatic? Jesus was on the verge of dying and nothing had happened to him physically at this point. How's he on the verge of death right here in the garden? His soul was overwhelmed. Oh, and there's a connection between the soul and the body. I am so overwhelmed, I'm at the point of death. So he said to them, stay here and keep watch with me. You remember the whole exchange that unfolds over the next hour or two or, or, or longer? He keeps going and a little further in, just praying. His body is so overwhelmed with what's happening in his spirit and his soul that he's, he's sweating drops of blood, the capillaries under the surface of his skin are exploding from the stress of what's going on. And do you know what Jesus is saying to the disciples as he goes back again and again and again? And he's going, guys, wake up, please. I need you. Be with me. You've got to stand with me. I, I'm just, I'm struggling with whether or not I can even survive this night. I've got to have somebody with me. I need you to help me get through this. I may die tonight if you don't stand with me. What's Jesus doing? We want to think, well, Jesus, he's the Son of God. He can just suck it up and just, and just handle it. Jesus, the Son of God, needed the help of other people to endure an overwhelming sickness of the soul, if you will, that night. So overwhelmed it was making his body sick. His body was breaking down. And Jesus said, I need the help of others to get through a time like this. So do you. And you've got to be willing to reach out to others. It's what Jesus modeled for us. 
He reached out to the 11. He reached out to the three, the inner circle. Stand with me. Pray with me. I've got to have your help. If I, I've got to have your prayers and just you being with me as I press into the hardest part. You need the same thing. And sometimes the healing that you stand in need of, you're not going to get if you don't reach out to some other people. CR is the most straightforward, practical plan for cooperating with God's plan for healing that I know of. People who work the 12 steps know exactly what I'm talking about. A lot of what I'm preaching, y'all are sitting there going, yep, that's step three, that's step four. You're just, you're just tracking through. Yeah, you're, you're preaching the steps. Well, the steps are Scripture. They're just scriptural truths. Connecting with other people, connecting with a sponsor who helps you work through a plan. Sometimes you're not going to get any better with what's broken until you're willing to reach out to the people who can help you do that. Getting in, in something like CR, getting with a sponsor, getting with an accountability partner, getting in a small group, getting connected with people who are going to be God's instrument for healing in your life. Take responsibility to utilize the people and resources that God puts around you. Number six, we won't spend long on this, but we will touch on it, but it's what we just did in the last series. Bind and cast out any demonic spirits which cause pain or sickness. Luke 13 is one of a number of examples that we could use. It's the story of the woman who had spent 18 years, bent over double, could hardly get around because a spirit of infirmity had made her so sick that she couldn't straighten up. I mean, can you imagine going through life, you know, like this, just creeping around, bent over double, in pain all the time, and she wasn't sick. I mean, she may have initially had an injury, but that was no longer the problem. Jesus made it clear. Satan had sent a demon to keep her bent double, to keep her in pain. Been that way for 18 years. Jesus comes and casts out the spirit, and then he's able to heal the woman. She's well. There's a good portion of the time that the demonic either cause a sickness, or they take a sickness in the natural, or an injury in the natural, that would have been cured with the passing of time. God's made your body with a tremendous capacity to heal itself. And your body would have been healed quickly enough, except the demonic are always looking for points of weakness to come in and exploit whatever else is already going on in you. And so they latch on, and where there's back pain, where there's suffering, where there's digestive issues, where there's you know, whatever it is, they just latch on and, and just continue to prolong that. So... Anytime I'm praying over an area of sickness, I'm going to make sure that I don't neglect this area. A lot of times I won't know one way or the other, but I'm just going to assume, you know, the enemy's always wanting to exploit weakness in any form. So I'm going to take authority over any spirit that may be there that's attached to this, bind it, and tell it to leave in Jesus' name. Another similar story is the man who brought his son to the disciples of Jesus, and they couldn't cure him the way they had everyone else, and so he ends up bringing him to Jesus and... And in Matthew 17, he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. And so Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment forward. A spirit had to be cast out in order for that to happen. Now, at this point, you may be listening and saying, why is it that this sermon sounds so much like the stuff we talked about in the deliverance series? It's like you're telling us to do the same stuff. Uh, there's a good reason why the two sound so much alike. Deliverance and healing go hand in hand. Because the principles for experiencing deliverance are by and large the same principles for experiencing healing because they are the principles designed to get us in connection with God. 
to come under his authority, completely surrender to him, and that just opens the flow of God's grace, God's healing, God's deliverance. And that's why as we work through this list, we're dealing with the same stuff. Make sure there's no unconfessed sin. Make sure I'm not carrying around any unforgiveness. Just, you know, kind of the same basic checklist here. Make sure that I've addressed the enemy, taken authority over him, removed him from the, the situation. When we've done that, then that brings us to the final piece. Now we are positioned to be bold and persistent in asking God for healing. Jesus taught his disciples so clearly about this. In Luke 18, he tells them the parable of the persistent widow. And in verse 1, it says, He taught them this so that they would always pray and not give up. That, that's the problem for some of us. We prayed, it didn't happen, and we gave up. And a lot of us need to recycle, work back through the list, and just, I mean, it's not like it's going to take you weeks to do this list today to go through, have I done these things to cooperate with what God is saying, to deal with root causes, and now am I willing to pray in faith? Because... You know, the truth of, of 1 John 5 is key for us today. Now, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. That's good news. We can pray with confidence. But here's the only way for you to really pray with confidence. You need to know what God says about your situation, don't you? I mean, listen, I've been around the name it and claim it people long enough. I'm not buying it. That we just get to run around and tell God what to do, and He has to do it. But when you are led by the Spirit, and you let Him give direction in your prayers, so that you know what God wants to do, now I'm able to pray in line with what God says about this. Oh, there is faith that's unleashed in that. I don't have to muster it up, because I've caught a glimpse of what God wants to do. What do you think God wants to do at your point of greatest pain? I mean, I, I referenced something similar to this a couple of weeks ago, but I want you to think about it today. If Jesus showed up in the flesh today and he was going to, to minister to you personally, call you by name, look you in the eyes, and talk to you about your point of greatest sickness or suffering, what do you think he'd say to you about that? You think he'd just go... I hate that. That's got to be tough. Well, you're probably only going to be here a few more decades. You can deal with it. Suck it up. You'll be a better person for it. What do you think he'd say? Do you think he'd be more likely to look you in the eye and say, Amanda, I, I want to heal that today. I want to take that away. Jim, I, I, want to, I want to free you from that. When you pray for these things, visualize that encounter with Christ what would he do if he showed up in the flesh some of you are going to get to experience encountering Christ's flesh and blood here today in a way that's going to be transformational for you I really believe that the last passage I want you to consider today is this James 5 asks, opens with a great question are you sick sick in any form are you sick called the church leaders together to pray and to anoint you with oil in the name of the Master. Believing prayer will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your feet, and if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Isn't that an incredible picture? Now, that's kingdom instruction for healing. Are you sick? 
Well, okay, don't, don't just run. Say, God, just fix it. You need to pause in this to consider that there are some other pieces to this. There's some confession. need to think about my life. There's some confession that needs to go on. I need to accept that God's healing is oftentimes going to flow through other people. He said, you know, man, it's wise. Involve some leaders from your church in praying over you. The faith-filled prayer, it's going to bring healing. Make it your common practice. Confess to one another. Pray for one another so that you can live healthy, whole, holy. This is what God wants to have happen in your life. Now I want you to think for a moment back to where we were at the beginning. We said there are primarily six ways you get sick. In the body, the mind, the soul, the spirit, the will, or through demonic attachment. Of those six, six forms of sickness, which one seems to be the thing that you're struggling with the most right now? I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you, to, I want you to think of that thing that is the, the greatest form of pain, suffering, struggle in your life. Whichever of the six is the cause of that. And I want you to picture the encounter that we just talked about. Jesus walks in the room today. He comes straight to you. And he says, you, tell me where it is you hurt today. Tell me where you need healing today. I want you to just, in your heart, say, Lord, show me what you want to do with that. If Jesus meets you here today, what would he do in your life in that area? Now, would you ask the Lord to give you a faith to believe him to do that in your life. And if you're not clear about what it is he wants to do, would you just ask him to show you that clearly? Lord, I pray that today you would give us eyes to see, eyes to see your great love for us, your forgiveness for our sins, and your great desire to heal us inside and out, that we could be truly whole. I pray today, Lord, that you would minister healing throughout the body here today. Grant us a faith to believe you for what you want to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.